there. Welcome to Biblical Chili. Why don't you follow me and I'll help you find a place to take that load off. The Chili Crew is just about to start. If you've been here before, well, welcome back. But if this is your first time, let me fill you in on how things work around here. You see, we speak openly about the Bible and our daily walk with Christ. And it's our continuing prayer that everyone that walks through those doors grows a little closer to Jesus every day. And just let me say, you came at a great time, too. We're taking a weekly walk through the Bible, one story at a time, from Genesis to Revelation. And after this is all over, if you like what you heard, on the way out, there's a button called subscribe. It's red and it's got a little bell next to it. Oh, and tell your friends. Oh, 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 here we go. Here's a nice seat right up front for you. Now you sit down and get comfortable. I'd like to sit here and talk to you and get to know you better, but that was the dough. I got to go. Those youngsters better get the lead out. This crowd's ready to go. I'll be right over there. Didn't realize the restaurant would be this busy today. I'm coming, I'm coming. Welcome to the Order up. All right, so last week we left off in kind of a weird spot. We left off in the middle of chapter 47, verse 12. We're going to start off in 47, 13. Jacob coming to live with his son, Joseph. The family is settling in the land of Goshen. Pharaoh loved Joseph so much that he said, hey, yeah, I'll, I'll give your entire family all this land. And so now, uh, how many people was it? Does anybody remember? It was uh, 70, wasn't it? 70 people moved from Canaan? I believe so. And moved to Egypt. Tom, go ahead and start in chapter Genesis chapter 47, uh, verse 13. All right. There was no food, however, in the whole region because the famine was severe. Both Egypt and Canaan wasted away because of the famine. Joseph collected all the money that was to be found in Egypt and Canaan in payment for the grain they were buying, and he brought to Pharaoh's palace. When the money of the people of Egypt and Canaan was gone, all Egypt came to Joseph and said, Give us food. Why should we die before your eyes? Our money is all gone. Then bring your livestock, said Joseph. I will sell you food in exchange for your livestock, since your money is gone. So they brought their livestock to Joseph, and he gave them food in exchange for their horses, and their sheep and their goats, and their cattle and donkeys. And he brought them through that year with food in exchange for all their livestock. I just think that it's so crazy that first... Um, they have to give up all, they sell all the land and then they sell all the money and then they sell all their livestock where these people have to give up everything. They have to give up everything they value, everything they hold dear, um, for that bread, that life. Right. So do you realize that this is the moment when Egypt becomes basically a world superpower? And ends up, I mean, in, as we're going to find out in uh, Exodus, that this was what started or what triggered uh, Israel to be enslaved by uh, Egypt. So I guess uh, I, with with this, because right now it's not Egypt necessarily that's that's being uh, that's rich, because it says here that everyone was giving you know their food and the livestock and everything. So everything belonged to Pharaoh. For all intents and purposes, it all belonged to Pharaoh. Do you guys think that this is what kind of triggered uh, this mentality to, or this this idea to enslave Israel later on? I could be. 
Because, I mean, they didn't have a, a high opinion for anyone non-Egyptian anyway. I feel like this does just kind of set up that idea of the world versus God's people. And, um, you know, like they say, like Satan will tempt his people, you know, with all the money, all the power, all the land, all the things. So you see where Egypt gets buffed up with all these things where they have everything and, and then all the people are kind of enslaved to them. But then what? who frees us from that? The blood of the lamb, right? It's like the only thing that can right. free you from the system. I was going to say, pretty consistently, we see God moving the pieces around around the board and circumstances that are going on in the world and seeing how, especially if you start from Genesis and look at the biblical story, we see tons of instances where this thing happens over here and then you see that played out over the course of time where that's the preamble for something much bigger happening. Well, I just I, I ask these questions about this because if if you look in uh, Egyptian history and, and there's there's been a, a book I went through that kind of talks about this, where Egypt during this time period, just this dynasty was the dynasty that began an age of great prosperity in Egypt and not just financial, but usually what ends up happening once uh, a nation gains great I don't know how to put this, uh, this great prosperity where, where, you know, they have servants, they have livestock, they have all the food, they have all the natural amenities that they need to survive. They usually enter an age of like art and creation and invention. And if we look through the history, uh, the, the history of Egypt, this is what we find is that around this dynasty was when the 18th, 19th, 20th dynasty is when Egypt blossomed into the Egypt that we know today, you know, with the, the carved and painted rocks and these giant, you know, statues out in the desert. Well, I mean, now it's a desert. It was a, was a, a beautiful lush like jungle back in the day, but, uh, back during this time, it would have been a jungle. And, you know, so I'm just saying it's just, it's very interesting. And I appreciate that Joe kind of went this way that we, we see these type of things, that God is almost like putting in motion that is causing something later on that, that's going to trigger something later on. Cause like, we know what's going to happen after this. I'm just asking. It's very interesting that like right here is when Egypt, this is the moment chapter 47 is the moment when Egypt becomes what it became to become more powerful than Israel to conquer more or less. I mean, basically they didn't even conquer. They just kind of set the Bible says that they, you know, appointed taskmasters and that was it. And, and poof, you know, Israel's now enslaved. All right. Verse 18. When that year was over, they came to him the following year and said, we cannot hide from our Lord. The fact that since our money is gone and our livestock belongs to you, there is nothing left for our Lord except our bodies and our land. Why should we perish before your eyes? We in our land as well. Buy us and our land in exchange for food, and we, and we with our land will be in bondage to Pharaoh. Give us seed so that we may live and not die, and that the land may not become desolate. So Joseph bought all the land in Egypt for Pharaoh. The Egyptians, one and all, sold their fields because the famine was too severe for them. The land became Pharaoh's, and Joseph reduced the people to servitude. 
from one end of Egypt to the other. However, he did not buy the land of the priests, because they received a regular allotment from Pharaoh and had food enough from all the allotment Pharaoh had given them. That is why they didn't have to sell their land. Is it interesting that they all became servants? Egyptians. We're talking about the Egyptians still. We're still talking about the Egyptians. Yeah, They became willing servants because the op, the, you know, the flip side of that is they're going to die. So might as well you know, live to work than die sitting down not being able to do anything. But do you see how interesting this is, though? Is, is Joseph didn't just say, hey, sell me your stuff, give me all your stuff. He actually said, okay, well, listen, this is what I'm going to do for you. Let me make you a deal. Give me your land. I will give you seed, and you're going to work to provide more food for the land around us. Like, like you are going to keep these, you know, silos filled with grain. Well, they were so, um, they were so desperate. It was their idea. It, w- it wasn't Joseph's. The people came to him and said, "Do this. Make use of us. Give us seed so that we can plant on our land, and it won't be desolate and just go to waste." So they're like pitching their case. Hey. It's a win-win for you. We get to eat and live, and you get more more helpers to plant seeds and more air, acreage to grow the stuff. Yep, and, and so, yeah, Joseph clamored right for it. Like, we're kind of in this position. It sounds so similar today with, like, even the government where they – They've they've taken everything from us, kind of, but they're like, but you're gonna work and you're gonna even keep paying me more from what you work and and we're just slaves when it's like all we have to do, which I mean they have, you know, it happens for them later, is is go and, you know, take all the stuff that God provided for us for free and completely leave the system. I feel like this is like setting up the two systems, you know. Like like governmental systems? Well, it's setting up the world system where you're enslaved, but but you want to be enslaved. You think that's the only way, you know. You you think I have to I have to work and I have to sleep and that's all I do and I'm just to survive, you know. But then Jesus comes along or Joseph comes along with the other option, saying you can be freed from this if you just um, come and learn from me or you know in this instance you come and you 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 humble yourself and take the bread of life then you'll live does that make sense wow (laughs) it does and i'm gonna step in here it's a lot harder to make a log cabin than you think i've tried (laughs) um and then also planting seeds takes actual time and the actual patience to do this it is very hard work to do homesteading but i do believe in actual homesteading and then your second part of this is actually it's because they're she- the sheep versus the lions. The sheep will actually, or the sheep in wolf's clothing, and those prey on the sheep. And then you also got the sheep dogs that actually protect the sheep. Right, yeah, that girl at the end was like, it's because I don't know how to do any of this stuff. <laughs> you know? Like, But also the system that keeps you enslaved doesn't ever teach you. You don't learn in school how to grow food, how to homestead, how to build. You don't learn how to do that stuff. So then you have no option but to depend on them. Well, uh, verse 21, if if I can just reiterate this, it says, And as for the people, he moved them into the cities from one end of the borders of Egypt to the other end. I, I find that interesting that uh, in the end of days, and, and I, I know this isn't quite an exact parallel, so this is kind of like an anti-parallel almost, but 
the Bible actually said, actually, I, I believe it was Jesus said, you need to, or you, at the end of days, you should flee from the cities, you know, because the cities is where all the stuff is going to happen at the end of days. So it's just interesting that, that it's like this, this setup here, because today people have gotten that way where it's, it, people get that into that mentality where, well, you know, I just want, you know, just take care of me, you know, just take care of me. I'll, I'll do my work. I'll, I'll do what you tell me to do. Just give me my bread. I want, I want to eat. And I want you to feed me and, you know, sure, you know, I'll move into the city to get that job to, you know, to get that type of thing where, I mean, I don't think any of us here live super rustically, uh, but there it's, no, you don't, you live down the road. <laughs> uh, but I, I just mean like even up here where we live or some of the, some of the members of Biblical Chile live, we we live in, in a more rural area than we'll say like Detroit or Chicago or something like that. So quite a bit more rural, actually. We have a lot of trees around here. Uh, but I'm just saying it's just, it's, it's fascinating that they, Joseph's like, well, come to the cities. And at the end of days, the Bible actually says just the opposite. You need to flee from the cities because that's what's going to happen. All right. So continuing on here, verse 23. Uh, Joseph said to the people, "Well, now I bought. Now that I have bought you and your land today for Pharaoh, here is seed for you, so you can plant to the ground. But when the crop comes up, give a fifth of it to Pharaoh, and the other four fifths you may keep as seed for the fields and as food for yourselves and your households and your children. You have saved our lives," they said. "May we find favor in the eyes of our Lord." We will be in bondage to Pharaoh. So Joseph established it as a law concerning the land of Egypt, still in force today, that a fifth of the produce belongs to Pharaoh. It was only the land of the priests that did not become Pharaoh's. Now, still in force today, I think this was Moses' today, not our today. Verse 25, when it says, You have saved our lives. Let us find favor in the sight of my Lord, and we'll be Pharaoh's slaves. Um, this reminds me of a passage in Isaiah where it's talking about um, how these, again, the Israelites, like they won't depend on God. They just won't depend on him, and they want to do everything themselves, and they want to you know, save themselves and he's, you know, sending armies against them. And he's pretty much like, all you have to do is rely on me. They won't do it. And he was like, woe to those who go to Egypt for help. <laughs> and I mean, I'm sure that's not like, they, they, probably they were trying to go to literal Egypt for help at that point. But with the whole analogy of, of Egypt kind of representing the world and even here where it says, oh, Egypt, you saved our lives, but now we're your slaves. You know, it's like, but woe to those who go to Egypt for help. Like, all you really have to do is depend on me. All right. So continuing on in verse 27. Now the Israelites settled in Egypt in the region of Goshen. They acquired property and were fruitful and increased greatly in number. Jacob lived in Egypt 17 years. And the years of his life were 147. When the time drew near for Israel to die, he called for his son Joseph and said to him, If I have found favor in your eyes, put your hand under my thigh and promise that you will show me kindness and faithfulness. Do not bury me in Egypt, 
But when I rest with my fathers, carry me out of Egypt and bury me where they are buried. I will do as you say, he said. Swear to me. Then Joseph swore to him, and Israel worshipped as he leaned on top of his staff. Okay, so does anybody else remember another time when somebody made an oath and swore to somebody and held their thigh? Yep, way back with (laughs) Father Abraham. (laughs) Do you remember why? Come on. Because it was so weird. I can't. Anybody? All right, I'm putting music in this part. (laughs) Okay, so it was his servant. And his servant was going to find a a wife. Oh, yeah. Remember? For his son, Isaac. And and he said, you know, don't return without a... He needs a wife, and it's got to be this great of a wife. And don't make it, you know, one of the pagans of, of Canaan and... And so I just, I find it interesting that this is still a very common, uh, is this a family tradition of, uh, you know, holding under their thigh type of thing? Or is this like a a thing of that land? No, I've heard, I think that's a a covenant thing that's always kind of existed from man to man covenant. And I've even heard that, that, that muscle that they're grabbing under your thigh is kind of the same muscle that got damaged when um jacob's hip got dislocated so like when we we read hip got dislocated hebrew in depth like it's that thigh muscle almost like a covenant was happening there that would be interesting then because abraham made this thing before jacob ever came about so that's interesting if god if this tradition was there with Abraham already with this with this made made of this promise and it the hip was damaged with Jacob or that thigh was damaged with Jacob that's that's interesting like I think I think God's trying to say something there or at least prophetically for them trying to say something like so actually no that would that would that would be awesome if that connection were true I'm not sure I've never heard of this uh, but if that connection is true then that means that that covenant that God so it would be like, it would be like God was making a covenant with Jacob and just squeezed a little bit too hard on that thigh and it popped. <laughs> right. Well, I I feel like it has something to do with like it was like we read it as the thigh, but it also is kind of more like the the loins. So it's like know, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like I think Mike covenant. said that, didn't he? No, it was it was Wayne who said. Listen, guys, if you're going to make a promise to me, let's just make a promise. We don't need to be holding nothing. But also, interestingly enough, that like part of the thigh was chosen as um, one of the sacrificial portions of the animal during the like priesthood and stuff. So there's definitely significance (laughs) there. Now, what do you think was going through Joseph's mind? Because Joseph has now lived away from his family longer than he's been with his family. So now his dad calls him over and just grabs his hand and puts his hand on his thigh. And he's like, okay, um, what's going on here? <laughs> he's like, now make an oath. Like there was no preamble. No, no, this is how we do this. No, it was just, uh, uh, let's do this. <laughs> right. Right. Why, why would he have, uh, why do you think Jacob, or Israel in this case, because the name switched once once the covenant was being made. Why did Israel want 
this promise to be made, uh, obviously, I, I know why it was Joseph, because, I mean, obviously, Joseph, he's got the power, he's got the ability, he's got, you know, he cares the most for his father. Uh, why do you think this promise was made? Hey, do not bury me in this land. I got it. Well, it's actually still to this day. Um, I'm going to go with unholy just as a technical term and just go with that. Because even today, there's not the 27 gods that they used to worship. But it is a very, very smelter pot of non-believers and different things and cultures that actually combined. And it, it still is not a very habitable place, in my opinion. Oh, not anymore. Yeah. Well, outside of if you live right next to the Nile or something. I don't know. Yeah. Well, and are his fathers, like, are they buried in the land? Like, are they in the, the promised land? Right now, do you mean? Yeah, well, like, here, like you said, he wants to be buried with, with, um, yeah, Abraham and Isaac. So, our, I don't remember. That, well, Abraham, earlier on, a few episodes ago, Abraham, actually many episodes ago, I should say, uh, Abraham actually purchased some land from the Canaanites. Uh, a big chunk of land, actually, and it was called, it had, uh, I believe it was called Machpelah, and Abraham's bones were buried there, uh, Sarah's bones were buried there, uh, Isaac's bones were buried there, his wife's bones were buried there, and as far as I'm aware, um, Esau is still living in that area right now. Well, so like, that would be, if it was like in the land of Canaan, that is what was the promised land, right? Right. So I'm wondering if it's his, um, you know, he was promised that he was going to get that land as an inheritance and maybe even like a, I mean, he knows that it's a fortuitous property or prophecy as to his people, but like he might just want to be resting in the land of his inheritance instead of elsewhere. Well, this will also finally, finally, uh, Put him to completing the task that God gave him, which was go and rest in the land of your fathers. Way, way back when. It took him so many years to do it, but he finally, he finally did it. I know later on we find out uh, Joseph actually says the exact same thing in the last chapter in this book. He says the exact same thing uh, because he doesn't want to stay here either, apparently. Well, it, it showed a couple chapters ago where Joseph is putting on a front of adopting the culture and everything that, that is around him. The whole cup and you know, I can see things. and Right, yeah. So he, he's like leaning into that big time. He's got to play the part. And I think that he still gives glory to God and knows that this isn't where he wants to be. Right, right. There but, seems to be a, a remaining duality for joseph and for you know and i think when when we see this covenant take place i think it speaks to that of speaking to their heritage and that separation between you know this this is not our land is there some parallel between this people clamoring for the government to care for them during this time of turmoil and today. I feel like that's, I was trying to make that point, but you said it really well right there. <laughs> yeah. 
Sorry, maybe I just put yes. it psychologically. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> yes. I, I've seen that actually since the... I've been doing a little research on this. It, it's actually started back in the 1940s during like the right after World War II. We were actually a strong nation and we actually had multiple, we believed in the Bible. And then we started doing different things. 1960s come along, you know, peace, love, and drugs. Then, so very, very rapid decline. Yeah, then we got Vietnam. Vietnam tore us apart because the fact that it was a war that no one wanted. And then you have the 1980s, Cold War. Cold War actually seen the possibility of the doctrination of communism throughout the whole world. But in the 1940s, we started fighting against communism. But now we're not fighting communism. We're subsiding to socialism. I was going to say, it almost seems like we're we're embracing it. All right. Well, I, I think this is this would be a good point to, to end off. Uh, hey, Tom, could you give us a, a quick word of prayer to send us off? Certainly. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for this day. We thank you for this ability to come together and, and read through your word together. Lord, thank you for uh, surrounding me with this fine group of people to to uh, reflect and, and, and share points of views with, Lord. And I just pray that uh, those that are listening will be blessed by something that's been said here. And I pray that, uh, um, that you just bless not only us as we depart from here, but um, bless those that are listening. And uh, just, just be with us through this time of of uh, uncertainty in the world. And I ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, this has been Justin. This is Tom. This has been Sully. And this has been Susanna. Joe. And Joe, where can we find you? Uh, you can find us at buddywalkwithjesus.com. That's where you'll be able to uh, tune into the show um, and engage with our community. All right. Thanks a lot, guys. Well, hello, everyone. Now that this is all over, I hope you had a great time. Now, listen, you don't have to go home, but you can't stay here. I'm closing up. You can get a hold of them on something called Facebook, YouTube, Twitter, Instagram, podcast. Podcast? What are they, fishing for whales? Listen, folks, just look up Biblical Chili anywhere. I'm sure you'll be able to find them out there. And until... Lord willing, we'll see you again. May the Lord bless you. Goodbye. they're still listening? I doubt it. There can't be that many people that listened all the way to the end of the track. Most will probably skip it. But in case you did, congratulations. You're one of the few.
We love you. <laughs>